0: Welcome to another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Uh, Father Christian Anderson is on assignment today. Uh, So it is uh, with great pleasure that we have uh, two priests in a radio uh, Zoom uh, uh, opportunity. So it is with great pleasure that we have the very fortunate opportunity to fly in via Zoom Airlines one of my colleagues, uh, a great dear uh, friend of mine and my family, uh, Rabbi Danny Berkman, who joins us out of Wayland, Massachusetts, uh, from Temple uh, Shir Tikva, uh, to kind of talk to us about, you know, his experiences on a, uh, you know, tri-country level of being born and raised um, in Britain, in London, Uh, his experiences in Israel, for of course he has Israeli family, And his professional life and his family life here in the United States of going through three different countries, his experiences, his joy of um, uh, teaching and inspiring so many. Uh, So Rabbi Berkman and I are going to kind of just kibitz about those experiences, those life uh, lessons, uh, the challenges of uh, community life in in uh in the new reality world that we find ourselves in in uh 2021 with 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 covid still lingering um but again uh you know i, I danny's here uh, via zoom airlines uh, and again danny it is uh it is a joy to welcome you uh to our program this morning A priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi!
1: The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bethanyam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax. Grab your Bible or a Torah and enjoy another episode of a priest and a rabbi.
0: Good morning, Stuart, Florida. It is the uh... it is Rabbi Durbin here with uh, with uh, our show today of a priest and a rabbi. Uh, unfortunately, our priest is on. Uh is on assignment today so it is two rabbis as we discussed earlier two rabbis kibitzing about the challenges and the the opportunities that present itself in our current world that we have today Uh, i am really 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 excited for this one Um, we do have a very special guest uh a very close good friend of mine um uh rabbi danny berkman who joins us here today uh, Danny is the rabbi at, uh, Temple Shir Tikva in Wayland, Massachusetts. Uh, Danny is a graduate of, uh, Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion out of Los Angeles, uh, before Danny's, uh, tenure at, uh, Temple Shir Tikva, Danny was the rabbi at, uh, the community synagogue in Port Washington, New York. Uh, Danny is a, uh, he is uh, 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 does a lot of great work in his community. He has a uh, he has a weekly Torah portion in his podcast, Two Minutes of Torah. He is a mentor and a leader in the Jewish community. Uh, Danny also is married to a wonderful woman, Nicole, who is a Jewish educator. Together, they are the proud parents of Gabby and Benny. Uh, it is just such a joy to have uh, Danny join us today on our program, A Priest and a Rabbi. So Danny, welcome. Welcome. Thanks, Matt. It's great to see you. And great to be Good with to you on you. the
1: radio.
0: You know, I will say, I will say from from a personal perspective, uh, you know, as, 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 as sometimes I, 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 not that I joke, but, um, you know, I will say that there are times where I go through my life where I need my priest. Uh, and of course, I will get on the phone uh, no matter whatever hour, time or day, uh, and I'll call Father Christian Anderson and we'll, we'll kibitz, uh, we'll talk. Uh, But from uh, from from my own personal perspective, there is no other person that I feel more comfortable with um, than Rabbi Danny Berkman. And of course, as Danny knows, there are times where I will call Danny and say, look, uh, from rabbi to rabbi, I need your rabbinic advice. I need your rabbinic support. You know, what does this mean? How do I go about this? And Danny is always there, um, as I'm sure he is always there for his community. Uh, It is it is it is a huge joy. Um, Although I will also say for uh, most of our listeners, not all of our listeners uh, are not aware, but uh, Danny uh, Danny and I share something very, very special. Uh, Danny was actually one of my witnesses uh, to my wedding. Um, When Rose and I got married as Jews, we have what we call a ketubah, a legally binding Jewish agreement uh, that attests to my love and devotion uh, to my wife as well as hers to me um and of course it requires two signatures and uh you know when rose and i were thinking about people that we wanted to sign uh to attest to our to our wedding it was really looking at it from who do i admire who do i respect and who would i like my relationship to be modeled after uh and really it was no contest it was it was danny um so i am uh i'm thrilled to have you i'm thrilled to have you i know it's been a long time that i have been trying to get you on the show but um uh we are we are super very excited to have you
1: it's great to be here and i was i was thinking about it before coming on that we've known each other i think now for over 18 years i was trying to think back to when you first arrived in england which was of course where we first met when you began your uh, rabbinical studies before i was even in the program and so i think it was about 18 years ago and i want to say a rosh hashanah celebration the new year at my parents house that you were there as a guest and that we were chatting in the I seem to remember us chatting in the backyard is my uh, recollection of it. And uh, that being, I think the first time that we met way back when. So uh, absolutely. it's a long time now we've been, we've been in England together. We've been in Israel together. We're now in the States together, all over the place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Amazing.
1: So just for those that, um, you know, obviously we may hear
0: a little bit of a uh, linguistic um, uh, difference. Uh, of course, Danny does hail from, uh, from, from the capital city of England of London Um and you know so Danny just you know from your perspective growing up growing up Jewish growing up in uh you know not a a a tiny hamlet uh, uh, of a town but growing up in you know Europe's major capital being London what was that like for you
1: growing up Jewish in North London? I think that one of the interesting things in contrasting the American experience with the British experience and with England is just the place of religion in society in general so that Over here, while, of course, there is officially the separation of church and state, people are much um, more open about their religious beliefs and much more willing to talk about religion in general. And and it's just kind of a a factor on the street, something that you encounter in a day to day way. And everyone's talking about and, and there's just a high level of religiosity in the country as a whole. In England, I always think about the fact that although there isn't that separation officially, there is a Church of England and there's official religious bodies that are kind of part of the country set up at the same time people just don't talk about religion it's something that kind of goes on in your synagogue in your church in your mosque in your temple wherever it might be and then you don't really discuss it in public that much it's it's a little bit under the radar and and for me at least growing up um, in London of course it's a it's a very cosmopolitan city it has all of the religious groups represented and and especially um, with the Jewish community that's the most significant Jewish community in England in Britain But it's still a small, small percentage of the population. I mean, most of the places, it's still not even not even a percent in most areas in terms of general population. So although there's a certain um, prominence to it in London and a certain kind of presence in the British scene, uh, being Jewish was very much being a minority. And then I don't know how much you guys go into this, but the kind of with the different denominations in Judaism, being a reformed Jew in Britain meant you were a minority within a minority in that context so that that made for an interesting interesting experiences and and for me anyway we went to a jewish day school for elementary school so until 11 based on the kind of ages that things are done over there my, my my family myself then my sister were in a jewish day school locally and then we went to the kind of uh, lo- a different school where it was a uh, people of all backgrounds and faiths and that was um, an interesting kind of moving experience but with a significant jewish population still so judaism was always there as a significant part of my life as a as a significant part of my home my education at every step of the way um but it's it's interesting to kind of uh, be in a place in america and 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 having been here kind of now this time around i think this is now my uh, 10th year in a row at this point there were 3 years previous before that with a little break in the middle so 13th year here the being in america just the the place of religions very yeah. different and still um, something that, that I appreciate, at least as someone who's um, committed myself to working in a religious setting generally.
0: And, and just for our listeners that may not be familiar, uh, Danny, uh, of course, is referring to those, those three kind of missing years uh, where Danny was uh, the rabbi at West London Synagogue, um, kind of in the heart of Marvel Arts, right in the city center of London itself. You know, Danny, given given the work that you did at West London and the work that you did at the community synagogue and certainly the work that you do now, have you seen major difference between, say, the role of a rabbi in in Europe as opposed to the role of the rabbi in America? Has it changed over the last 10, 20, 30 years in your mind? You know, how has
1: that manifested itself? It's been very interesting to to have the opportunity to work in different contexts and I think there are a couple of observations that I'd have. One of them, I think, is that religious life in an urban centre versus in the suburbs is just very different. So, West London Synagogue, as you mentioned, is is right in the heart of London, and so it's 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 really the central city congregation. People are coming there on their way back from work. It's 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 right by the West End. It's that kind of vibe. And then the community synagogue, both in Port Washington and now Temple Shetika here in Wayland, is a suburban synagogue. And so you just are catering. And working with a different population to those who live in the urban center and and most strikingly i think it's in terms of often with with the families and the age of the family so at west london synagogue a significant chunk of the work was with young adults those people who hadn't yet necessarily settled down who were kind of still finding themselves at the beginning of their professional careers working in the city who would come to that synagogue whereas as soon as we moved to the suburbs it was a similar age of people but they were the ones who got married already or had kids or were settled into their home and, 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 and in that kind of way. So that was one of the big distinctions. I think also the expectation and the relationship with, with, with the rabbi um, changed over time. And, and, and I, I joke a little bit that in my rabbinic training, I, I spent one year in London, one year in Israel, and then three years in LA. And I, and I joke that at different stages of my career or my training program, at least, I gave different answers when I got the question of what I was doing. So when I was uh, in in England in that first year, I would say I was just I was studying religion. I didn't really want to go into the rabbinic thing when I was in London out and about. It was just that was a conversation I didn't really want to have when I was in Israel. I talked about studying Judaism, but didn't necessarily want to have to have the conversation about reform rabbi and go into all that detail. And it was only once I was in America that I was I'm studying to be a reform rabbi because I think it opened a conversation in a very different way. You learn very quickly the kind of reaction you get when you tell people you're a rabbi or even a rabbinic student. And um, and in America, I think there's just that that openness to talk about religion in a very different um, way than there is over there. And I think that there's a there's definitely a degree. Um, so someone um, I think it's I think it's Rabbi Michael Marmer has joked about the different way that rabbis are related to in Israel, England and America. And I think he says that in America, they put their rabbi on a pedestal in England. The rabbi hides behind the pedestal. And in Israel, they hit the rabbi with the pedestal, I think is the I'm doing a disservice. He's much better at telling the jokes than I am. But but it's something along those lines. And I think there is an element of of that, that there is a certain degree of respect for the position that, that that's present in England as well. But it's mm. really clear here in the way that religion and religious leaders are related to and, and, and engaged with that, that 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 makes for um make, make, makes for this to be a really, I think, a really interesting context and place to be leading a community to be working in a religious setting because there's a thirst and a hunger for religion and for community and all of that comes together in in the public sphere much more than in england at least and so i think that that lends itself to what i was looking for at least
0: and, and, and danny you know given your uh i'll use i'll use father anderson's uh uh terminology given your judaic formation right so you went from you know elementary school you were in a jewish you know a Jewish school. Uh parochial school, you know, w- was that the beginning of your formation of saying, you know what, I- I'm really impressed and impacted by Jewish culture. This is something that I'd like to dedicate my life to. Was it something that happened when you were in college, right? You know, a little bit of background, you know, Danny's father is British, uh, your mom, obviously, uh, you know, hardcore Israeli, uh, you know, born and bred, you know, was that was it also your, your, your family's experience of your, maybe, maybe influenced by your mom of the Israeli culture and the people and the state and the nation and the language? You know, what, what, what
1: led you down this path uh, to dedicate your life to the Jewish people? Uh, on a certain level, I, I never thought I'd end up doing this. I never really intended to do it. And it kind of, it's, it's funny, um, one of the, the, the Jewish sayings that I like is that people make plans and God laughs. And and I had my plans. I had my thoughts of what I was going to do much more actually in this direction of doing radio and media type work. That was what I thought I'd do right through college and even a couple of years after college. But then things went in a different direction. And I think when I think about my formation, my mother being Israeli definitely gave me a sense of connection to my Jewish identity that was connected to Israel as a place and wasn't so kind of based around the religion but more about the culture, the people, the wider context of what being Jewish can be. And I think that's always one of the interesting things. When we think about Judaism, we always put it together, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Sikhism, Buddhism as a religion. But in many ways, I think Judaism is a religion, but it's also a people. It's also a nation. It's also a culture. it's, It's so multifaceted. And I really think that having an Israeli mother, allowed me to be exposed to that in a very different way, even though we were in an English context. Alongside that, my parents both were very involved in the synagogue as teachers. A lot of the teaching there was not in in the British setting is not necessarily professional teachers. It's people who volunteer or or who come on the Sunday morning to teach in the religious school and whatever it might be. And, and, And I always talk about the fact that I knew my way around West London Synagogue, which is the synagogue I served and also grew up in, where if you needed a supply, I could find it for you. I knew where all the hidden things were. I knew where everything was kept. It was it was a home away from home. And and so community was always very important as part of the Jewish identity, much more necessarily than specific Jewish expressions of keeping this law or observing that holiday. It was just, that was the community. That was our context. Mm. And we were at West London Synagogue every Friday night, pretty much, for services. And then every Sunday for religious school. Um, as I recall, probably from the age of um 11 or so, at least through until I was about 16, 17. So it just was that center of our life in that way and and a really important part. And, and, And so I was engaged in Jewish life. I was engaged in the community. The big kick was getting involved in a youth movement, though. It was going to a Jewish summer camp where after a couple of years, I got to take on a leadership role. And I think one of the things that religious community does really effectively and really well is most religious communities are willing to say to young people, we trust you to be leaders way before any other part of society is willing to give 16-year-olds responsibility to that level. The, the, the synagogue, the church, other places will say, we trust you as leaders, Let go go do it. And, and, and I really thrived in that setting and really embraced it. And so I kept on that journey. I, when I was at college, I switched from history to theology. That should have been a clue of the direction I was going in. It wasn't. And then I went and worked in the Jewish community for a few years um, as as an educator, as a kind of consultant supporting youth movements and young people around the areas of Israel and Judaism. And and I still wasn't sure what I was going to do. And there was a part of me that was thinking about moving to Israel. There was a part of me that was thinking about moving away from it completely into a different field. And the more that I thought about the things that I enjoy and the things that I find meaningful in terms of education, building community, connecting with people, being there for people, I started to realize that the things I wanted to do, I could do the most effectively as a rabbi, and that being a rabbi would allow me that opportunity to do those things that I loved and wanted to kind of continue with as, as my career. I don't think I fully realized everything that goes into being a rabbi, and there are lots of elements of rabbinic work, as I'm sure you can um, testify, that are not necessarily what we signed up for or expected or anticipated. Uh, but but overall, I, I, for me, I think especially at this time, building community and providing community for people i think is so important and that that kind of gets me excited in the morning and gets me through the day and 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 that's that's what i'm trying to do It's 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 how can i build community and in my specific setting how can i make that community that jewish community that's relevant and meaningful for people today we have a wonderful as as do most religions hundreds of thousands of years of tradition but we have to find a ways to make it relevant for 2021 and for the future it's not about just taking something that we did a hundred years ago and saying, well, let's keep doing it. But that challenge of making it meaningful and relevant, I think is really exciting.
0: Well, I mean, I, I, I love the idea and, and and certainly we're going to delve into that uh, when we return from break, but just, just that understanding of, you know, how do we in today's understanding uh, I know, as I'm sure you uh, probably have had throughout your career. I know I've had uh, uh, many questions that have been posed to me throughout my career of um, you know, Rabbi, it's the Torah portion. It's not relevant. You know, if it's talking about X, Y, and Z, and a part of me says every Torah portion is relevant. You just you need to find that hook. You need to find that connection that brings us back. That I think you know, when we examine you know the Torah in and of itself, it is timeless. I mean, it may have been written thousands of years ago, but it has just as much meaning and value if we give it that credence and that authority. Um, and and and, try and you know, kind of work our way through that. Um, you know, which is which is fabulous. You know, Danny, I also know that you are also very big with um, the you know the, the the wider non-Jewish world in terms of the work that you do uh, with interfaith dialogue. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of our listeners have probably heard this uh, probably 137 episodes previous when we talked about interfaith work that you know Father Anderson and I have done. Um, you know, Danny, you've been involved with uh, you know Europe's kind of. Um, model of what we call JCM of Jewish Christian Muslim dialogue originally in Bendorf and Bendorf Germany near Bonn and then of course it, it, it changed near Dusseldorf uh, but I think um, and you could correct me if I'm wrong something has been going on for 45 years uh, an initiative that was put forward just for those that may not be familiar Jews Christians Muslims all throughout uh, Europe largely I would assume Western Europe come together for eight days and they learn about each other's culture about each other's faith uh, in a healthy dialogue and and sometimes a difficult dialogue um, uh, to engage with it, did that have any any import within you of the passion and the desire to learn more about other people's faiths or
1: how did that work? My mother was very involved in the kind of in the jewish christian Muslim dialogue world and and I can't remember exactly when she started getting involved in it in a big way, but I do I do remember there was a certain point, I guess, probably in my in my teenage years, maybe a little earlier than that, where there, there were people just around the house who were coming in um, from different religious traditions. And 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 so that to the extent that that I, I have, as as one lady refers to her, my Muslim mother, um, who, who who kind of took took us in in that way and and just fat friends like family for my mother and my family who are of other religious traditions. And, and she really embraced that. And I think for me. While I was at college, I started to really think about the impact of how religion is so often seen as a dividing force, when in reality, religion can be an immensely powerful unifying force. And when we think about what unites us as religious people, as religious leaders, so much more unites us than divides us, but we allow those voices on the extreme to be dominant and we allow them to kind of take up all the space in the room. And so we miss the bigger chunk of of unifying features of religion and the bigger ways in which religion has been a positive force in the world and throughout history. And so that was something that I was really aware of and and so much so that when I finished my undergraduate work while I was working in the Jewish community, I was actually studying part time doing a master's in Jewish Christian relations and trying to look at the kind of relationship between the two religions. i I, had been very interested in that for, for a long time in terms of the, the, the way that the two religions kind of grow from one another and, and, and add Muslim, Islam to the, to the mix as well. The way that these three religions kind of impact each other and kind of influence the development of the culture, the ideas, you can see shared stories, shared understandings. And, and, and so it's always been a part of my um, rabbinic work. And now that we're here in, at Temple Shirtiqbun Wayland, one of the wonderful things about this community is that uh, right across the road, I mean, within, within a minute walk, is the Islamic center of Boston. So there's a synagogue on one side of the street and a mosque on the other side of the street. And so just the geographic proximity has encouraged us to find ways to come together and to work together and to do programs and projects together. So we have all of these things going on between the synagogue and the mosque um, in terms of a joint Shabbat program where we do Shabbat here, Friday night prayers there, and then dinner. We've done some studying together, all sorts of things like that with, with the mosque. And we have relationships with other churches in the area where we do a a joint um, service with a local choir and this year the big thing that we've been working on is we've started working with a community locally called the greater Framingham community church which is the largest african-american church in metro west recognizing the challenges for that community at this historic moment and 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 what 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 they've been going through alongside the jewish history reaching further back in terms of some of those the biblical models that are taken into into the 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 black community the african-american community We've been coming together. And and just uh, just a few weeks ago, we had a joint Seder for Passover where we celebrated from from slavery to freedom together. And it was a beautiful kind of mixing of our traditions, of our music, our song, our prayers. And what came across so clearly was that our traditions resonated for them and their traditions resonated for us. And and, and you couldn't necessarily know which one was the Jewish part, which was the Christian part, because it was the same message. And that's Mm. a beautiful and powerful thing. For us to kind of think about and be, be aware of. Amazing. Amazing. So, um, uh, Danny, uh, look, uh, we're,
0: we're, we're, we're going to take a quick break now, but when we get back, you know, certainly delve into, uh, you know, how do we in today's world in 2021 or, you know, in our Hebrew date of 5781, how do we make it relevant? How do we make it fresh and current? How do we bring in uh, our beliefs uh, and and our thoughts to empower and inspire others in a time of you know great disconnect in our communities of 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 COVID and of people being afraid and scared and and how do we bring people back in whether it be in a virtual world in a you know in a, I don't know if you guys are still in person if you're still remote you know how that works um, and, but we'll you know kind of tackle some of those uh, some of those some of those questions when we return so uh, we'll take a quick break. And we'll uh, we'll come back in a few.
1: Hey everyone, it's Evan Nine,
0: producer of a priest and a rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at Christian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in 34 other countries. Thanks for being here and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Now back to a priest and a rabbi.
1: Welcome back to the
0: award-winning priest and a rabbi radio show with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. Welcome back, Stewart, Florida. Uh, this is now the second time uh, that we've had the, the 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 coming back part of the program with uh, with uh, with Todd Newton, who joined us a couple weeks ago. He is the uh, uh, award-winning. Uh, talk show host, obviously, from um, the traveling uh, Price is Right, as well as many other things. Uh, for those who joined us last week, you probably saw Father Anderson in and my reaction. I didn't know what was happening, uh, but it was great. So we do thank Todd uh, immensely for giving us that, that, that little bit uh, as we begin. Uh, but again, as I mentioned earlier, it is Such a joy and an immense pleasure to have not only a a, a close personal friend of mine, uh, but somebody who uh, is really a leader in the Jewish world um, and has really impacted, you know, so many people. Um, So again, it is with great pleasure that we welcome Rabbi Danny Berkman out of Sheer Tikva uh, Temple Sheer Tikva out of Wayland, Massachusetts. you know, just as, as we were in break and we were I, I was kind of reflecting on, Danny, your your experiences with, uh, you know, the Jewish Christian Muslim interfaith dialogue world. Um, and you had expressed in terms of, you know, your own upbringing of an Israeli mother and, uh, you know, a British father and, you know, those those influences of both um, of both different cultures and different places and how it really impacted your personal journey. You know, I'm I'm actually reminded years ago, um, years ago, I had the very fortunate opportunity to attend uh, many lectures uh, on Islam and Jewish Christian Muslim dialogues um, at the School of African and Oriental Studies, SOAS in London. Um, And it was actually one of your mom's best friends uh, was talking about Islam, and she had said, I never understood what it meant to be a Jew until I stood in my best friend's shoes. And it was something that, I mean, this was said to me, I don't know, 18 years ago. Um, and I remember it so clearly. Um, and, and your mom had also mentioned something about, you know, what it meant to be um, Islamic and what it meant to be Muslim. Um, although in a Jewish body, and a Jewish mind, uh, of, of really trying to experience and see it through uh, another lens. And it was just really, I mean, it was something that um, I, I will remember forever. Um, you know, your family has certainly uh, have a very warm place in my heart. Um, um, you know, something I actually mentioned to my wife last night, and I said, the only person who invited me to a Passover Seder when I moved to London was your mom, uh, and your family. Uh, I think your mom, when she celebrated her 50th uh, birthday, I think, uh, for, uh, I was invited. I felt very humbled and very, very, uh, just amazing. And I know that over, you know, almost the last 20 years, we've really forged this, this really amazing, amazing relationship uh, and I'm just so thrilled to not only have you, uh, as a close dear friend, but also a, uh, very trusted colleague, uh, where, you know, um, not all rabbis, not rabbis don't know everything. Uh, and I think it's an important thing. Um, you know, there, there's a massive sign that is in Abraham Geiger college in Berlin that says rabbis are human beings. Um, you know, we're prone to mistake. We're prone to challenges and everything else. Um, but it, it, it gives me great comfort knowing that, um, you know, not only have I acquired a friend and a, a and a teacher in you, uh, but also somebody that you know uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not embarrassed uh, or 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 too high on myself to be able to admit that um, you know I I I need a little support or a little a little perspective. So, um, you know, to go a little bit further, Danny, into your experiences, um, you know, when when we look when we look at you know the challenges that persist itself, especially during you know COVID and everything else. has that impacted your
1: community this has been such a strange moment um, for all of us in in so many ways and and i think that we've been all struggling for how to maintain that connection despite the distance and and i think for, for 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 religious organizations where our focus is on building community we have for so long relied on building that community by being in person together that suddenly whenever it was 13, 14 months ago, to suddenly not be able to be in space together was just so jarring and so strange. And, and, and it was a real question of, well, what are we going to do now? How are we going to be able to provide community from a distance? And, and I really was taken by this idea that although we had to be socially distanced, there were ways to maintain a spiritual connection and to ensure that we kept bringing people together, not in person, but on the screen. And we kept offering those opportunities for people to feel that connection with their community. And and that's been really my focus over the last 13 months or so has been really trying to ensure that we offer people as many ways as possible to connect. And it's not the same connection as they previously had. And it's not necessarily the exact connection that they would have wanted because they can't walk into the sanctuary and just be there in that prayer space. But there are different ways that we can offer connection and different ways that we can bring people in. One of the really interesting elements, I think, of these last few months has been um, the fact that we've led services from our homes. And so we've welcomed people into our homes on the screen in a really different way. And and I've heard from people about how powerful that's been to just see us in that setting, whether that's at a Passover Seder, whether that's at a Shabbat service, whether that's reading a story to the kids for a Friday night thing, whatever it might be, Bringing people into the home has been very powerful as an experience at this time. And was that's that, one of the
0: things. Danny, for you, was that, was that intentional in terms of, you know, I, I understand in terms of, you know, cities and areas and urban areas. I mean, you know, we, we all saw the world effectively shut down completely. But was that your intentional thought um, as obviously senior rabbi of the congregation to say, I want people in my home. If we're celebrating Shabbat if we're bringing in the essence and the beauty of Shabbat, what better way than inside my home, as opposed to broadcasting from, you know, the comfort of your own sanctuary in your community? You know, I know we had the same challenge. Um, I actually made the intentional approach of not broadcasting through my home, but I broadcast through the sanctuary because I felt that for a lot of our members, that's
1: that's their home, that's comforting. It's it's familiar. Was it intentional for you? There was There was some thinking behind it in terms of, just at least at the initial stages one of the things we ended up doing was we ended up having one clergy person in the sanctuary and two at home Mm -hmm. and having the kind of zoom boxes on the screen so that people could see their sanctuary and feel that connection and I I agree with you I think that was very important to kind of sense that the synagogue building although it might have not been open to the public was still open and there but but we brought people into the home The, the most powerful way for me in thinking about it was really about passover and again going back to that holiday passover is a real home-based festival where where as you said people invite ideally people invite people to be around their table to join with them to share in that meal and last last year so just at the very beginning of this back in april of 2020 what what my wife and i decided to do is we said on our second night seder we'll we'll offer it via zoom we'll just put a computer at the end of the table We'll we'll give people the Zoom link and and whoever wants to be with us can sit around our table and we'll lead an hour's worth of the Seder. The Seder can be a lot longer than that, but we figured in terms of the right time to be on the screen. And and we had 100 people around our table. Now, what was amazing to me was the two, two elements. One, 100 people came into my house to join to join with us. We could never accommodate 100 people in our house. That's not the size of table we have. And so we were able to do that, which was amazing. And the other part was I got to share a personal tradition with my community because the Seder very much is what you do in your own home. It's not that, while there are, of course, elements that everyone's doing, it's, it's very personal in the songs and the tunes and the different bits and pieces. And that combination of sharing my personal tradition with my community in my house, I would never have done that otherwise. And And, hmm. and, and I do wonder about the idea of, In future years, not that everyone's going to do a Seder on Zoom, because I think people will be back around the table, but with the Seder offering, with there being two nights of Seder, will we maybe choose to do one night where everyone does their own thing with their 15 people, 20 people? And maybe our communal Seder, rather than being in person in the synagogue, which is, again, not the space that the Seder tradition takes place in, but is offered via a computer screen, because we've got used to joining things on Zoom in a way that we never would have thought about in the past
0: and and it, it, you know culturally is was, was there a big shift between say british jewish british society and american culture in terms of as you mentioned a second night seder yeah. i mean is that common in britain to do a
1: second night seder i think it's quite common in 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 the more in more traditional communities generally so given england and britain has a more um traditional orthodox jewish community that, that the two nights at the beginning is 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 much more widespread there i think over here it depends a little bit on the communities i think a number of communities offer a second night seder as a way for people who may might not have family locally i mean i think that's one of the interesting things about american society is the way that it's so spread out that the, the the kind of um the reach of this country that that, that i mean we we as, as close friends, we, we don't get to see each other on a week to week, month to month or even necessarily a year to year basis because we're just so spread out from one another. And that's the same for family and other people. And so I, I think that that was one of the reasons for offering it. But but it's 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 kind of just I think in England, it's much more traditional. America has is, is been more willing to innovate and, and, and adapt Judaism. I think that when I when I think about what attracted me to the American Jewish community, the two main things were. One, there was a confidence to say, this is what we believe, this is what we're going to do, and to pursue it 100 percent. We're all in. And I thought that was very powerful. The other piece, I think, uh, alongside it was this willingness to innovate with what religion means. There's that sense of the kind of I know it sounds cliche, but the Wild West from the very beginnings. And of course, that West has spread further and further West. But but that sense of what's possible here that we couldn't do back there. And I think that was the sense for the pilgrims. And it's been part of that American um, uh, self-understanding from the very beginning and the Jewish communities embrace that with the desire for innovation, for thinking outside the box, for bringing new ideas, all of that present here in a, in a different way than, than it is maybe in some other places. And I think it's changing in England because I think the American influence has gone that in that other direction, but it's, it's not necessarily yet at quite mm. the same place. And, and when, you, when you raise, you know, some of these, some of these you know,
0: innovative ideas, um, you know, I, I don't know, uh, you know, parking lot Shabbat or, you know, what we do, courtyard Shabbat or, you know, I mean, for us tonight at 530, we're at the beach for Beach Shabbat. You know, when you started introducing new innovative programs of a further engagement with your community, um, did you find any pushback from leadership or members of the community?
1: No, no, none at all, and I think that in some ways, I was brought into Temple Shearith as the as the senior rabbi because of the vision that I have for Judaism and the way that it really matched beautifully with the vision that they that they had for Judaism. When when I read there, it's it's funny to talk about religious life in this way, and it might be a very unique part of a, maybe even just Reform Judaism. But 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 there's a job description that goes out for what the rabbinic position looks like, and there's a whole pack to read through about the synagogue and it's not kind of just being sent to a place. I know in some communities, some religious communities, you kind of get sent. That's the town you're going to. That's the community you're going to. And someone else is making those decisions in in the Jewish world. You kind of apply for a job and it's and it's 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 a rabbinic job in a place and you're looking for the right fit for you, for your family, for that context. And when I read about Temple Shirtik, that they were talking about that desire to be a leading synagogue and to be at the cutting edge and to kind of find those ways to really engage with Judaism for today and to kind of bring themselves forward into the uh, modern context in that way. And mm-hmm. and for me, that was really exciting because as as, as I think you mentioned, or I mentioned, but, but that, that sense of the relevance of Judaism today, that's what drives me. I think how we can make this ancient tradition relevant and meaningful for society today and for our community today, that's, that's what gets me excited. And I think there's so much there um, for, for the modern world, that, that religion has survived and religion has persisted because it, it provides meaning, it provides context, it provides a way of viewing the world that is so helpful to people. The challenge today is that often the religion that we see is a bit too extreme mm. rather than what religion historically might have been, which I think was generally more liberal in approach anyway, in, in the way that it's uh, bringing ideas and understandings. Mm.
0: So, and and in your mind, Danny, how do you how do you make Judaism relevant? I mean, how do you make it accessible? Um, you know, what I mean, look, I, you know, growing up in a very large Reform synagogue, largest synagogue in Canada, I always felt that you know the synagogue was unapproachable. I always felt that my synagogue was cold. Uh, I mean, I loved my rabbis, I loved my synagogue, but there was always something that felt distant in some way. Um, how do you, as a rabbi, you know, tackle that challenge of? trying to make it warm and hamishy and um, accessible and
1: relevant for, you know, for, for those who come? The first piece, I think, is that when people step through the door into the synagogue or when they log on now to the website, it has to be a welcoming experience. You have to feel welcomed and invited. That's, that's step one. The second piece, I think, is when you come into a community, you're looking for people like yourself. You're looking to see that you fit and that you belong. And that's the moving from that welcoming to the belonging. And that's what we have to do explicitly in the communal context. The other piece, though, is I think that people are hesitant to engage with religion because they make assumptions about what religion is or what it represents. And so the, the, the clearest example to me in that context, especially Jewishly, in terms of let's go for a high profile example. So Shabbat, the idea of a Sabbath that you work six days and on the seventh day this evening through for 25 hours, you take a break for Shabbat. That's a really interesting, compelling idea now most people in the Jewish community, their first assumption about it is, okay, that means praying several times a day. That means not doing this, not doing that. They see it as kind of legal and and, 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 and about um, restrictions. But in reality, Shabbat at its core, and its very essence from the very beginning, is you need to take a break. You need to switch off and, and just relax for a period of time each week. That's what everyone out there is saying. They're not necessarily calling it Shabbat. They're talking about disconnecting. They're talking about switching off. They're talking about stepping away from the 24-7. But what they're talking about is Shabbat. And we have that idea. And we had that idea for thousands of years. And so the question is, how can we offer it to people in a way that's meaningful for them? Because I know my community is not about to start coming to pray three or four times over the course of Shabbat, of the Sabbath. They're not doing that. But to encourage that idea of taking a break, of having a meal with family, that's what all the kind of advice is out there to be living a better life the the other example that i always go to is how do you bring in your day like what's the way to start the day and so if you read about positive psychology all of those kind of materials out there all of them say begin the day with gratitude that's the best way to start your day well that's what judaism does judaism has a prayer that we're supposed to say when you wake up in the morning that the the hebrew of it is moda ani lefanecha Melechai v'kayam, which basically says, thank you, God, for restoring my soul. The first thing you say in the morning is thank you. That's that gratitude. Now, maybe some of my members are saying that actual prayer, but if they're not saying the prayer, at least I'm encouraging them to start the day with a gratitude practice that is Jewish in their understanding. Hmm. And, 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 And I think that's what it is. So many of the things and ideas that are out there in the cultural zeitgeist that are good for people that we're told. To live a more meaningful fulfilling better life we can see that we have them in our jewish context i'm sure we have them in other religious contexts as well but but of course my my language is a jewish language that's the that's the community in the context that i speak in and the challenge for us is to help people recognize that that's there for them because again it's worked for two thousand plus years for a reason and it doesn't just stop working because we're in the modern world. In, in fact, what happens is you just need to adapt it and tweak it to make it relevant for the modern context. Hmm. You know, I love the idea,
0: I, and especially Shabbat. I mean, even when you look at, you know, the commandment that you shall remember and you shall, you shall keep, I mean, it's left vague. Um, and I think it's left vague for a reason, uh, because obviously look, my observance of Shabbat, your observance of Shabbat may be different. It's not, you know, any better than or less than, it's just, it, it's a different way. Um, you know, and I love, I love the fact that, as you rightfully said, you know, there's, there's, there's something about our acknowledgement and our gratitude. You know, I, I often preach to, to my community, you know, and I'll, and I'll start with a very open and very basic question where I'll say, what as Jews do we think is the oldest prayer that we have as Jews? And, of course, many uh, of my community, and I would assume many of the Jewish community, come out with the very impactful line out of Deuteronomy that says Shema Yisrael. And I actually negate it and say, no, that's actually not the oldest prayer, because the oldest prayer that we have is the prayer that we say, modim Anachnu we give thanks to you, Adonai, our God, that actually a prayer of gratitude is the oldest thing as Jews that we have, because it's something that we acknowledge that there's something above and beyond ourselves mm-hmm. and that recognition. And I love what you said about Ani, like, thank you, God, for restoring my soul, you know, giving me the gift of life, the gift of breath that I think we do take for granted. You know, I often, you know, comment to my Torah study group on Shabbat morning that I'm embarrassed to say that the one day a week that I actually get to see the beauty of God's magnificent world is when I drive over the bridge that crosses over a river on the way towards the synagogue that I see water on both sides. I see the clouds and the sun peeking through, and it's magnificent. But I also, I know I also get to see it six days of the week as well. But why is it on Shabbat that I'm more hyper-focused on it? Um, and I love how you try to make, uh, you know, for your membership and for, you know, the Jewish world, it to be, you know, accessible, but, but certainly relevant. I mean, I love the idea of, of, you know, whether it be prescribed prayer or spontaneous prayer. Maybe we don't know the prayer language that says, mo de ami. Right? and I teach this to my community as well. Maybe we don't know the prayers of blessing of the children. Maybe we don't know the prayers of the candles, the wine, or the challah. Can we say to ourselves, "Thank you, God, for the gift of my family"? That's just as important as Baruch Ata Adonai as a prescribed prayer. And I think sometimes we we sweep under the carpet spontaneity and the spontaneous prayer because it's not traditional. It's not the you know the 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 liturgy or the words that we speak. But at the same time, I mean, at least for me, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts, that spontaneity and, 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 and our, our prescribed prayers,
1: uh, they're both equally balanced in some way. There's a real tension, I think, in Judaism between the routine of prayer and the intention of prayer. And once something becomes routine, the intention becomes harder. And when you have the intention of kind of something like, as you're saying, spontaneous, then the routine kind of gets lost. And, and, it's, and it's really a balancing act of how do you maintain both of them? How do you maintain that spontaneity and that routine, both elements in the way that you're approaching um, the prayers and and, and the words that that, that you need to recite. And and I really start thinking that the the difference in terms of the religious person versus the non-religious person is a little bit about the way that you view the world. It's the fact that when you're driving over that bridge and looking at the water and appreciating the water and seeing that as something worthy of amazement, of, of gratitude to God, that's the difference because... Another person might see it and say that's beautiful, but sees it much more as that's just a natural, just by chance, that's how it happened. And I think there's a there's a tweaking. I think I think it's a Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel who talks about the radical amazement that that's that's the way that the religious person views the world of just being amazed by everything you see. And one of the ideas that that we share here that that the, 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 the Cantor Hollis Shackner that I work with always loves to tell people is this idea that you're supposed to say a hundred blessings a day. Now, that's not necessarily 100 prescribed blessings at certain moments, but that's 100 moments in the day where you stop and say, wow, I want to thank God for this. And and that might be things like seeing a rainbow or seeing that beautiful water or whatever else it might be. And we have blessings for those. But it's also in the Jewish context. It's also that first stretch in the morning because my body's working again. It's putting on our clothes because, again, we have clothes to wear. All of that is just that little tweak. That sees something that is routine and regular as being amazing and, and miraculous and therefore worthy of celebration and worthy of praise. And that's a real difference in the way I think that Judaism approaches the world and religion approaches the world to, 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 to others, because it, it just shifts it ever so slightly in that in that sense and in that way of viewing it. And
0: and 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 you know, Rabbi Danny, how does it work for you in terms of your inspiration? Where do
1: you get where do you get your joy? Uh, where do you where where are you inspired? I'm I'm inspired by my family and just spending time with them. I think often I I often think my five-year-old and my eight-year-old are two of my best teachers in terms of what I should be talking about, what's important, what's relevant. My wife, Nicole, who's an educator, is is always helping me with my own education and with opening my eyes that bit wider. And it's just the wider world. I think so often we think of kind of what's going on in secular society as separate from religious life but actually secular society can be inspiring for religious life and both call one another to action and engagement. And I think that's the the, the kind of religious call is to, to, to have your eyes open to see the wonder that is around us and then to be inspired by it. And it's just, it's, it's just a shift in focus. That's ever so slight, but it's really impactful to see something as amazing and to pause, to be amazed rather than just to see it as routine and every day. And I mm-hmm. think that's, that's inspiring to me. And, and, in trying to do that, to take a moment to, to just appreciate whatever it might be that surrounds us, I think is really is is is, is really what it means to be a religious person in some ways. Yeah. Um, I know that we are we are rapidly running out of time.
0: Uh, I just wanted to just just to, just to also say, you know, Danny, you and I um, um, certainly share the same uh, parental uh, uh, way about you know raising our kids. Uh, I'd I read the other day. That your wife was doing something in the evening and you got your kids showered and everything else and then took them for ice cream, uh, which is exactly what I would do. Um, I mean, I'd give my kids ice cream for breakfast. If, I mean, it's got calcium. What's the problem? It's <laughs> Great. Um, and I love the fact that you said that you get your inspiration from your family because I think that our families are our greatest support network. Our families are the ones who challenge us in profound ways, especially with your five-year-old and certainly with your eight-year-old. I mean, I've got one that's going to be 10 and... I don't know, 11 days and uh, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. And I I get, I get a lot out of them, um, you know, just for, you know, how they see the world, um, what their experiences are. Um, Fabulous. So, uh, you know, Rabbi Danny, if people wanted to learn more about you, if they wanted to hear, I know you do two minutes of Torah you do a a whole bunch of stuff on a podcast and um, all, all the great stuff that you're doing, how can people find out and learn more about you?
1: The, the, the easiest ways is, are to follow me on, on Twitter or to come to the synagogue website, sheartikva.org. And, and my writings are there and we're trying to share things there and materials there to just get 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 them out there. And I think that's one of the challenges of spreading that religious message, not as kind of missionizing, but just as sharing, sharing something that I think is worth sharing to people that, that can help people in their own lives in the way that they view the world themselves. And it's a, a joy and a pleasure to be with you and to get an hour of your time. I mean, I feel really privileged to have that. Uh, this morning, it's, it's hard to pin you down in that way. It is, it is. So, um, you know, Danny, if you were to
0: leave our our, our listenership with, uh, you know, a message of hope uh, as we go forward in 2021,
1: as we're almost in the beginning of May, you know, what would what would the hope be? Our, our religious history tells us that we've been through trying times before that we've suffered before, but that when people come together and support one another as community, we can overcome whatever is placed before us because we each one of us is created in the image of God with that divine spirit. And that allows us to make our world a better place and always has done and always will be. Amazing. Amazing. So again, uh,
0: on behalf of a priest and a rabbi, I, I thank you, uh, Rabbi Danny Berkman out of uh, Temple Shir Tikva from Wayland, Massachusetts. Um, it has been just such a, such a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, we look forward to welcoming you back soon uh, to all of our listeners. Have a great rest of the day.